want to share about a friend of mine from back home, my old church, my last church that I was an associate pastor at. His name's Bill Alexander. Some of you who are on our prayer team, you might know Bill because we prayed for his niece or his granddaughter, I'm sorry, recently who had a battle with cancer. And then also him, he's currently facing a battle with with cancer. But I want to share about Bill and really the the decades-long friendship that I've had with him. Like I said, he was a member of my last church, and I think he's a faithful example of one who dealt with difficulty, not not just well, but in a Christ-honoring fashion, right? He didn't just endure, but he endured glorifying God in the midst of his difficult circumstances. Bill was a a contractor. He's a tile guy, okay? So he does tile flooring, uh, does bathrooms, uh, tubs, all that kind of stuff. A great, gifted, skilled craftsman. And uh, when Bill came to our church, uh, my last church, it, we were in an economic downturn. And, and as I've shared with in the past, those of you guys who are in construction, you know how that goes. Usually construction starts to slow down. And so Bill was struggling financially. And he came to our church. He was really just kind of grinding it out, trying to find work. And work was hard to come by. And instead of feeling sorry for himself... Bill really was an inspiration uh, to serve the church more with the extra time that he had on his hands. He served, he helped cook for different events that we had. He was a great uh, grill guy. He could work the grill. He could cook a mean breakfast. Uh, He was just a good guy who served. He was an incredible encouragement to our other men. He served in our men's ministry. And he really, Bill was one of those guys that was just kind of the epitome of on fire for Jesus. Like if you just followed him around the grocery store, you were going to see him have 10 different conversations with people about Jesus. You've been around those kind of people, right? He just, it was contagious. He just couldn't keep it to himself. And it was natural, right? It wasn't faked. He just naturally could talk to anybody about Jesus. Well, after the the economic downturn, work starts to pick up for Bill. And about a few months into uh, his work, uh, an an injury occurred. Bill was cutting some tile with a tile saw. The tile saw slipped, and he about cut his hand off. And so he had about a year's, he had surgery, he had about a year recovery, and he had a a lot of time on his hand because he couldn't, once again, he couldn't work. And he's going yet, facing yet again another season of of difficulty. And instead of moping around, Bill began to use his extra time to serve at a local homeless warming shelter back in Southern California where we lived. It does get cold there occasionally, all right? So we had a warming shelter, and he would work the overnight shift at the at the warming shelter, primarily when, when people would start coming in and checking into the shelter about 8 o'clock in the evening. And Bill was amazing uh, at ministering to homeless people, which is, if we're, if we're honest, that's difficult ministry to do, especially there. Uh, people would come in off the streets. You know, their, their clothes are dirty. They haven't taken a shower in a few weeks. Uh, maybe there's some mental instability. And Bill was amazing at ministering to these folks and seeing them for the human beings that they are. Uh, he encouraged me from time to time. Bill was in my community group, my home Bible study. And he encouraged me to come help with the shift from time to time, and I would volunteer. And I remember the first night I volunteered with Bill, I was amazed at his heart for ministering to the homeless. Again, it's tough, tough ministry. And yet Bill wasn't just sitting back, you know, kind of checking the box afar. He was engaged, treating these peop- these folks as human beings. He was present. He knew everyone's name. Uh, he dealt, that night we saw an actual fist fight break out in the shelter, uh, and Bill jumped right in there, split them up. He helped calm, calm everybody's temper down. And he had strength, and yet it was couched in grace and mercy. 
And, and throughout the night, you, I would see Bill sit down and he'd, he'd pull out his Bible and he'd sit down with somebody and he knew their name and he'd be like, hey, brother, I, I want to share scripture with you. And he'd share about Jesus uh, with that person. Well, eventually Bill's hand healed and amazingly, it was amazing. We had uh, conversations because he really struggled with going back to work full time because it would cut into his ministry to be able to minister to uh, the homeless folks back in Victorville where I was living in Southern California. And not to mention only these, these work issues and injuries and financial issues, but Bill also had some struggles in his personal life. Bill had struggled early on in his, in his late teens and early 20s with, with addiction to substances, alcohol and drug addiction, and overcame that through the power of Christ and the power of God's spirit. Bill had struggles at home at times. He, had, he has a daughter, Kayleen, who has uh, Down syndrome. She's in her early 30s. Before I left Redeemer to come out here, we were actually able to baptize her. It was awesome. One of, the, one of my favorite baptisms that I've been able to be a part of. Her profession of Jesus was, was beautiful and amazing. And so, so Bill's raising this daughter with Down syndrome, which is a, is a challenge uh, on his personal life. His wife has battled and overcome cancer a number of times. As I shared with you earlier, his granddaughter, a young girl, seven, eight years old, was diagnosed with cancer last year. We prayed for her. Uh, the Lord healed her through the doctors and treatments, and so we praise God for that. And then Bill called me, man, about probably eight, nine months ago and told me, hey, I have cancer now. You know, and he's facing that. But you know what? You still could hear the joy of the Lord and Bill. And I called him just a few days ago when I was thinking about him preparing the sermon. And I was like, hey, man, how are you doing? And once again, I'm not, I'm not meaning that Bill's fake. He's not happy all the time. Bill has his struggles. Bill goes through tough times. He's going to tell you what he thinks. But overall, the trajectory of his life was always to see the difficulty in his life and serve and honor God in those things. And I, and I think about him this morning as I read through the difficulty of Paul's life and the example that we have in the Apostle Paul and how to trust Jesus in the midst of difficulty. That brings us to our question this morning. How do we live with difficulty and still trust Jesus? It's one of the most common pastoral questions that I have. Like, hey, I'm going through all this stuff. How do I trust Jesus uh, through these things? Just as Bill has been an inspiration for my own personal walk with the Lord, the Apostle Paul was an inspiration to the early church on how to live through difficulty and still trust in Jesus. Again, this is probably one of the most troubling questions that we face on our Christian walk, right? When difficulty strikes, how do we continue to trust God? And I think Paul's an example. How do we know that he had a difficult life? Well, there's a record of it in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we look at verses 23 to 29. Paul's going to detail all of the difficulty that he faced in life. He says this, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm, he says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. Now he's going to go into the difficulty he has for, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. Paul was beaten for the gospel and often near death. Okay, so he's not just beat up, like hit in the face a little bit. He was beaten almost to the point of dying for the cause of Christ. He says this, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, right? I mean, man, I know we're not supposed to use luck, but how unlucky is this guy, is he? Like, three times? Like, I've never been shipwrecked once. This dude's been shipwrecked three times. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea, right? Can you imagine in the midst of the storm, like, guys floating around on, on boat debris out there in the water? 
says this, on frequent journeys, in danger from, from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, right? So everywhere is danger in Paul's life, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily, on top of all of this, he says, all the churches that I've influenced and planted and pastored, he says, I have this pressure on me of, of my anxiety for all the churches of the cause of Christ. He says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? That means angry, right? He has a joy in the Lord in the face of, like, who's gone through that much stuff? I haven't. He's gone through a lot of things in his life. We can all agree Paul went through adversity, right? Difficulty in his life. And he still trusted Jesus. If we were to continue reading into chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he's pleading with the Lord. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. The this that he's talking, to, talking about in chapter 12 is this mysterious thorn in the flesh that he has that we don't know exactly what that is. He goes on, that it, that it should leave me, that, that Lord, would you pull this thing away from me, whatever this thing is that I'm struggling with. But he said to me, he's saying God here, God said to me, hear this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, right? How much more is God glorified in the midst of our weakness than when we are strong, right? Because that's the only conclusion we can come to in Paul's life is that that's a work of God. That's a work of God in that man's life. He goes on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, my difficulties, right? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, he says this, then I am strong. Turning back to Philippians, our, our question remains, how do we live with difficulty and still trust Jesus? We're going to look at what Paul focuses on. Number one, Paul focuses on the advance of the gospel, right? The mission that the Lord has given him. That's how he continues to trust Jesus because he sees uh, God working through his difficult circumstances, we can view uh, this church, the Philippian church, as a mission partner of Paul. We established that last week. They're, they're eager now to hear of the work of the Lord. So we have missionaries that we support as a church, and we wait with eagerness to hear from them and hear the work that they're doing. And so really, this is almost like a mission support letter that the Philippian church is receiving. They want to hear, okay, Paul, we know you're in prison. How are you doing, buddy? Right, if we hear, we've had some, some brothers in the mission field who have had some health problems. We eagerly await to hear what's going on in their lives. We want to have that update. And that's really what, what we're at. They have this concern for their brother Paul and a genuine concern with his difficult circumstances. And Paul responds to them in verses 12 to 13. He says, I want you to know, right? Okay. So last week we established the joy that, that Paul has in the Lord, the joy that he has in the partnership with the, the Philippian church. And now Paul's going to get at the heart of the matter. And so I can imagine this church is waiting like, all right, Paul's just going to dump it out. All his emotions are coming out right here. He's, he's just going to let everybody know how bad he has it, how pitiful his situation is. He says, I want you to know, okay, I'm in prison 
He doesn't say that. He says this, brothers, that what has happened to me, hear this, has really served to advance the gospel. Like who would have thought that that would be the first thing that he's going to talk about? You know, he could have said that, and I want you to know my circumstances are really bad. I'm living in dire, a dire situation. I'm chained up. I got the imperial guards all around me. No, I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and the results, right? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That's amazing. All of the emperor's closest workers are hearing about Jesus. And then he says this, and uh, to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So that Paul, everybody knows within earshot of Paul, whoever comes in contact with Paul, they know this. He's in prison for Jesus. It would relate back to his, his statement back in, in Philippians 1, uh, when he, uh, 1, 1, when he says, Paul and Timothy, he says here, servants of Christ Jesus, slaves of Christ Jesus, prisoners of Christ Jesus. Everybody knows what he's in jail for, right? There's no, in Paul, we don't hear a woe is me attitude. Again, we established last week, this is one of the most joyful letters in all of scripture and the circumstances of Paul is prison. He's in prison. We see in Paul's strength, and confidence in the Lord in the face of the most difficult situations. I love the way uh, one of the, the resources I was reading this week is written by uh, a man named Matthew Harmon. He says it this way, Paul may be in chains, but the gospel runs free. Did you hear that? Paul may be in chains, but the gospel runs free. You can't contain the good news about Jesus. The world wants to, but they can't keep it. They can't keep it bound up. They can't keep us quiet. We will continue to talk about Jesus. Paul will not let his calling be confined, be, be constrained, even when he is restrained. What has occurred here, right? Again, Paul is being imprisoned, and we're not exactly sure at this point in his life uh, where he's at in this instance. He could be chained up in a Roman prison, or there was a point where he was placed under house arrest for a season, but we're certain that Paul is choosing in this instance to not wallow in self-pity or anger or anxiety. Instead, he is focused on the mission of God, trusting Jesus and trusting the advance of the gospel, the kingdom of God. It's thought that, that when the prisoners were chained and an important prisoner like Paul would have been overseen by direct members of the imperial guard. This imperial guard would have been the emperor's closest servant. So Paul has really a captive audience to hear about Jesus. And he may have, historically, we know some of these, these uh, folks who were in prison, these prisoners were actually chained to the guards. So this, this poor guard, whoever's assigned to Paul is chained to him and they gotta hear him talk about Jesus all day long. And he's, he's preaching so passionately that not only is the guards hearing about it, but everybody in, in earshot, it says everybody was hearing that he was there for Christ. And so how do we live with difficulty and still trust Jesus? We see every difficulty as an opportunity to advance the gospel message. Okay, and th this is in fact countercultural. Because in our culture, we want everyone to see our difficulties or our circumstances as stemming from being a victim of something, a circumstance, a situation, a sickness. And this may be so. There are victims. 
I don't want to belittle that point. But Paul does not focus on being the victim of circumstances. Instead, he sees it as yet another opportunity for gospel advancement. This is convicting to me. Like, do I see the difficulty in my life as an opportunity to advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God, to share about Jesus and the excitement that I have for what Jesus has done in my life? It is because Paul truly trusts that the Lord is good in all situations. He believes what he wrote in Romans 8, 28. And he understands that his difficulty not only advances the gospel, but also it advances his salvation in Jesus, right? We determined, again, jumping back into last week's sermon, we are justified through faith in Jesus. What does that mean? We're declared not guilty. Like that happens the moment you place your faith, trust, and confidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But the ongoing saving of our souls is what we call sanctification or growing into what Christ has already won for us. We're, we're basically have an ongoing salvation, right? We are saved through faith in Jesus, and we're living in light of that and growing in our salvation. And the difficult circumstances in our life help us to grow in salvation, in the saving faith that Jesus has given us. The difficulty, the conclusion is, is good and healthy for him. It's spiritual nourishment to his soul. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why is it folly? Why is the word of the cross folly? That, that God would take on human flesh, that he would go to the most shameful instrument of death ever imagined in the history of the world, crucifixion, and he would die for humanity? I mean, if you just think about that, that you can see why someone would say, yeah, that makes no sense. That's foolishness. Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. You see how it's an active movement in our souls, an active growing into the salvation that Christ has already won for us. For those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's Paul saying? When I reflect on the gospel, when I preach the gospel, when I talk about the folly of the cross, it saves me more and more, and in it is the power of God. In your difficult circumstances, preach the gospel to yourself, advance the gospel in your soul, talk about the work of Christ, and then talk to everybody else in earshot about it. Paul finds his power in the message of the cross and advancing that message in the midst of difficulty. Point number two, Paul is bold and courageous. Paul is bold and courageous. And in that, he is inspirational. He's an inspirational leader. We're seeing an inspirational leader burst onto the scenes in, in college football. Do you know who that is? It's a coach. Colorado Buffaloes. You guys paid attention to, to college football? Deion Sanders is an inspirational leader right now, right? They're 3-0. and They won a crazy overtime game. We're, on the, we're in Eastern time zone, so I didn't stay up that late, but I watched the highlights this morning. They beat Colorado State. Deion Sanders is, a, is an inspirational leader. He's bold. He's courageous. He's outspoken. You may love him. You may hate him, but he's inspiring a group of young men to win football games. Paul was bold and courageous. He was inspirational. He kind of had the same reputation. You either loved him or you hated him. We'll find that out in the, in the rest of this passage here. He inspired, though, others to be bold in the faith. It says this in verse 14. And most of the brothers, hear this, having become confident in the Lord by, notice this, by my imprisonment. That doesn't make sense. 
If you see people going to prison for something, do you go run and do it? No. But here, Paul's, Paul's giving this evidence to the Philippians. I was like, hey, I'm in jail and the brothers are getting more confident in proclaiming the gospel, right? That's, that's kind of counterintuitive. They become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And here's the result, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Like, we're not scared anymore. We're walking through the fire with you. We're proclaiming Jesus. How do we live with difficulty and still trust Jesus? By continuing to boldly pursue Christ and his kingdom, especially the advance of his kingdom. Boldness and courage is inspirational to others. And we have to acknowledge right, the reality of the situation. We understand from Paul that, that others are following his lead to become confident, right? Another word that we use often in this church for confidence is trust or faith in the Lord because of Paul's imprisonment, right? So this is a question that we have to wrestle with this morning as we look at the life of Paul. Does your difficult battle or situation inspire others to have confidence in the Lord? Think about your difficult situation. Does it inspire others to have confidence in the Lord as Paul's has? The result of, of this confidence is a boldness to speak the word without fear. I want to share with you three men that have inspired me over the last few years to be more bold in sharing my faith. The first uh, guy is someone that I talk often about. He's now the lead pastor at Little Flock just up the road. Nate Ashbaugh talked to him on a daily basis. He's a guy, whenever we go out to lunch, he's going to talk to somebody about Jesus. And he's inspired me to be more bold in sharing my faith. Uh, another uh, person is a guy that you guys know well, our discipleship pastor, Nate Stevens. Nate will constantly, when we, especially when we go to Cluckers, we'll go to Cluckers, get lunch. Okay, if you guys don't go to Cluckers, you got to hit that place. It's good. Go to Cluckers. Almost every server in there, at some point, Nate is going to ask that server, hey, we're going to pray for our meal. How can we pray for you? And it's opened up so many opportunities to talk to people. We've had, I think, almost every server that he's asked that, they start crying at the table. Because they, and and it, what's cool is we've been able to follow up with those folks and we go back in like, hey, how's the situation with the car accident or the car repair or something like that? Nate's taught me a boldness in that and another avenue to be able to share the gospel with people or at least establish, hey, we're followers of Christ and we care about our community. The last person is a gentleman that's no longer with us, but uh, Rich Gabbard came to our church for uh, a short while before he passed away, but I would go out. Uh, Rich was a coffee guy. He roasted his own coffee, and so we'd go have coffee and a conversation, and there was one time we're out in Taylorsville, little coffee shop right there on the, on the main highway, and him and I are drinking coffee. I go back to get a refill. And in the two minutes that I'm gone, I came back and Rich is like praying over some lady that just lost her husband. I'm like, dude, what happened? She's crying. Like, what is going on here? Okay. And he was bold and just, he looked at the lady. She was there with her friend. And he goes, man, you look like you got a lot on your mind. How, can we pray for you? We're Christians. We'd love to pray for you. And it opened up an opportunity to minister to that lady. That's bold, right? He could have just sat there and played on his phone like the rest of us do, set up your fantasy football lineup, whatever. You got two minutes to kill. But he looked across and he saw a human person that was suffering and struggling. And he said, hey, sister, I want to pray for you. What's going on? And she shared about the loss of her husband, and we were able to pray for her and minister to her. Those are men that have, have inspired confidence in me to be bold and courageous, 
We must also understand that this isn't just a physical battle that we're facing. We're facing a spiritual battle. And I want to tell you a truth this morning. that The spiritual is just as real as the physical. Okay, the spiritual is just as real as the physical. This passage isn't in your notes this morning, so I'll just read it to you. Ephesians uh, 6 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, hear this, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, the, the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm, the things that you can touch, feel, and see. And so we have to acknowledge that, that our difficulty has just as much of a spiritual element to it as our physical circumstances reveal. Paul conveys this, the, the collision of, of spiritual purposes between God and, and the spiritual opposition that God has, which is found in the devil and the demons, the demonic realm. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of, uh, minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, right? That's the content of their message, that Jesus Christ is King, he is Lord. He says, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, hear this, let light shine out in of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul's getting at here is he's like, there's a big spiritual battle that's going on around the physical things that you see. And, and we, as those, those who are followers of Jesus, those who have received the Spirit of God, those who have placed their faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus Christ, we are light in the darkness. And I want to tell you this, it takes boldness and courage to stand in the dark and shine a light, exposing the evil and wickedness that lurks beneath the surface. But, but we are called the spiritual light of the world. Jesus calls us salt and light. Shining in the darkness. That brings us to this. Like The gospel is war. It's spiritual warfare. We're not, we're not just messing around here. This is, this is a heavy weight that we carry. And we need men and women who are bold and courageous for Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. Number three, Paul uses the bad, the bad situations for God's good. Paul uses his difficult circumstances for God's good. Here, here's the bottom line. This last section of this passage, it's wild. It's wild what's going on. Christ, this, is what's going, this, is what's, this is what's occurring. Christian leaders are preaching the gospel, not with the aim to glorify God. Rather, their intent is, some of them, is to harm Paul all the more. Talk about some difficulty says this in Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ, hear this, from envy and rivalry with Paul, right? He had some enemies. He had some folks who weren't his friends, but others from goodwill. says the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, right? That's a good thing. They are the bold brothers who are going out and truly seeking to advance the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. But Paul goes on, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, hear this, but thinking to afflict me, right? To hurt me in my imprisonment. What then? What's Paul's conclusion, right? Go get him. No. He says only that in every way, 
whether in pretense or in truth. He, he, this is the conclusion of the matter. Hey, Christ is proclaimed. And then his conclusion is this, and in that I rejoice. Okay, here's the thing. He's not celebrating that he's being hurt more by these men who are, who are preaching the gospel with an aim to harm him more. But he's celebrating in the, the outcome of the gospel being proclaimed, right? That many are being won to Christ. And hey, he's saying if many are being won to Christ, you can tighten up the chains a little bit more. Because right? the pain is good if it's for God's glory. I want you to think about this in a different way. Imagine someone knows you're in the hospital. You're in pain and, and you're receiving medicine to manage the pain. But they have the ability. They come and they do a little visit because they care about you. And that, that tube that brings that medicine into your body, it's laying on the floor. And man, they just step on it a little bit, right? So you don't get as much as that painkiller as you need to. And the pain increases and they're just looking at you. That's what's going on here. That's what these folks are doing to Paul. They're preaching the gospel, not necessarily with the aim to glorify and magnify the Lord, but just because they want to get him back for some reason. They want him to feel pain. They are his rivals. And yet he trusts the Lord so much that he continues to praise God and rejoice in the advance of the gospel. I want to clarify something here. He's not praising their motives or what they're doing. He's praising the outcome, isn't he? He, he's not some crazy guy who's like, oh yeah, I just love the pain. Give me more. No, he's not enjoying that one bit. What he finds enjoyment and what he can rejoice in is that many souls are being won into the kingdom of God through the proclamation of Jesus. He gets it. He understands this, that beautiful outcomes stem from difficult circumstances. We know in science, right, pressure produces diamonds, doesn't it? And here's the truth. At any point in history, whenever God's people have suffered and been persecuted and have been under pressure, you want to know what happens? His people just absolutely explode and grow. We see it in Israel, in the Jews, in Exodus. We see it in church history. We see it right now. Did you know in China, in Iran, the church of Christ is absolutely exploding in a good way. It's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. And the church is blowing up. 